It's a dungeon crawling romance game. I don't care about that. What I cared about was when you said you go in, you find weapons, and then you date them. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 124 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm the deployer of web servers. I'm Sam and I make art sometimes. And this is a show where we talk about live business and working in the games industry. Today is November 13, 2017. Before we start, we have a warning. Anything can happen on this show. There will be profanity uh, and there's, and w- there's going to be lewdness. So if you are a child... Or under the age of 62, you should not be listening to mm-hmm. this podcast. Also, I have a question, brothers. The the medicine bottles, all mm-hmm. of them, they say things like... The medicine bottles. They say things like, <laughs> for adults and children over the age of 12 or should whatever, be, yeah, they're right. always like, yeah. that's the dosage. For a man-sized child, basically. Why can't they just say people over the age of 12... What's with the adults and children sort of combo phrasing here? Do you, right. you know what I'm saying? Is there a That's reason? A question. Is there a reason? Think about it. Because <laughs> right. they're both people is what you're saying. They're just people over the age of giving, 12. And if you're giving the age, you don't need to split it into two other age groups. But, right. but don't they actually? Because I, I thought they have adults and they give a dose. And they say children over the age of 12 and they give another dose. No, so. it's always adults and children over the age of 12. Really? It's like, yeah, two ibuprofen or something. Mm-hmm. And then... Children under the age of 12, one. Is it? And it's never about size. It's just about yeah, it's whether. That's because it's completely whack. Did you know they actually, they actually use, and I'm not, I'm not even making this up, for certain dosages, for certain kinds of drugs, they use surface area of your body. To, oh. I mean, that could make to sense. To calculate the dose. How do you measure that? Mostly by BMI and then bullshit. But, mm-hmm. but isn't that, isn't that <laughs> whack that they're like, how much skin do you have? I feel like they, that's a good one, though. Especially I mean, if you got a cream. Yeah, yeah but, but, but no, lotion, it's a lotion-based well, yeah, medicine. Yeah, yeah, no, but these are ones that are you're ingesting still, you know? Is it because yeah. of the blood vessel surface area goes up? Yeah, but that's only that only accounts for your skin, because you're a volume. Right. You know? Right. And there's this really convenient metric we have for volume, which is called your weight, which is also really easy, because <laughs> it's a well, fucking no, single because number. You just stand on a thing, and it's like, yeah, this is how much of but what have you got those volume you've got? You know? well, yeah, that is true. Because yeah, if somebody who weighs two hundred forty pounds may be Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Who, yeah, you know he's he's got a low volume to weight ratio, right? Because he's he's a, a rock. Yeah, right. So I don't know if I don't know if weight is a good metric. What we should do is we should just throw people into bathtubs, see how much water they displace. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Then figure that. That would make visits to the doctor just so much better. You know, just they just hop into a nice bath, but light some candles, take a dip, take a dip. (laughs) Because actually, density probably is more effective because you get kind of a rough sense. Because you know how dense like bones are, you know how dense muscles are, you know how dense fat is. Right. And then just regular guts. And also, Mm. you kind of know how many guts a person has. How many? You got like eight. Yeah, and they're all kind of the same size. I think. I got a question because there's like there's air in there, right? I mean, only in your lungs, but yeah. Well, there's air in like. In your torso and stuff. No. There's, it's a vacuum. It's a vacuum. I don't believe that. For well, a not, not it's your a total vacuum. Not your uh, your inside your intestines. There's some air in there sometimes. But like but yeah, just in your torso, though. in yeah. your abdomen, it's just like a perfect. Yeah, yeah. There's no there's no air pockets in there. Oh, well, it's like <laughs> so you had surgery, you got opened up. So now there's definitely air in there. Well, they, 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 they had to blow air into it. Right. But yeah. is there any left? Is it still? It, in well, there? it goes away over time. So because air actually gets absorbed back into your bloodstream over time. If it's, if, it's in, if it's inside of you, but doesn't that so mean your also, blood is vacuum sealing your guts? Yeah, doesn't that mean also that the blood is letting some air into your? I mean, it is through hole? oxygen exchange, but it's right. letting it through as individual molecules, not as a gas. Mm. I'm just saying, if you cut someone open, does it smell gross? <laughs> it depends on what part you cut open. If you cut That's open, what I'm worried about. If you cut open their intestines, yes, mm. that smells real bad. Like a candle that's scented like the inside of a man. Yeah, but just his in like not his insides, like his guts, but just yeah. like the vacancy of a man. <laughs> the vacuum that would not be a the great, vacuum of a man. That would not be a great business model. I just sell those bacon. candles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get on to some studio news. Uh, we have only have a couple things. So one is the, well, one is we're going to start selling vacuum of a man scent. Vacuum of a man scent. <laughs> That's gonna, we're going to be adding that to the merch store, which you can, you can get those at store.bscotch.net or yep. shop. Shit. Which Shop.bscotch.net. I feel like you, you got confused about that last week and now it's just one of those stuff. Yeah. Can't get off <laughs> There's of some now. of those that happened to me. Like 
if you can't remember a spelling, but you remember both of them, and then you can never give proper weight to the correct yeah. one. And they're just Especially stuck. all that I before E bullshit, yep. except in certain circumstances thing. Except basically all the time. Yeah, because then every time I write a word, I'm like, I before E, except a bunch of circumstances. <laughs> it's especially a problem <laughs> if, you have a, if you have a weird friend who you need to talk about a lot in yeah. writing, you know. Oh, then yeah. Just- <laughs> Yep, especially if, that, especially if that weird friend is weird in part because they're so wired all yeah. the time. Mm-hmm. The weird wired friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gets real. Who's a fiend. Yeah. <laughs> Who's also a fiend. Uh, Shit, which way does fiend go? Is it just like it's friend, like friend without, okay. without the R? Yeah. It's, anyway. That's uh, one of those classic <laughs> I before E words. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so we have, uh, we talked last week about the iPhone X and how uh, super pumped we were about the opportunity about the opportunity to rebu- <laughs> to rebuild Crashlands to accommodate the lack of corners, the notch, and the home bar, mm-hmm. um, which all we, good we did last week. We did it took uh, like two days or so. Took a couple days of of jamming real hard to to get all that stuff going, and we also started switching Crashlands over to Game Maker Studio Two. Mm-hmm. We've been in Game Maker One Point Four for quite a while, and so. This is one of those tech debt things that we unfortunately were not able to plan for where we had built the game in a certain tool and now all of a sudden that tool is going to be deprecated uh, like end of next year or something. And so we need to switch over to the new one and it just is a process and also we don't necessarily know what kinds of uh, new issues that might introduce. So we thought, well, well, we're doing the iPhone X beta. We should just go ahead and make this switch just while nip it in the bud. while we got beta testers. Well, for our Linux testing, we were already testing the GameMaker Two version also, so right. we, we'd already kind of worked out a bunch of the kinks, and 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 so it's it actually looks like it's in a pretty good spot. It's in pretty good shape. Uh, just one weird thing where when people would try to place floor tiles, they would instead punch holes through the earth, yep. Um, yep. which. Could be a feature. It happens amazing time. <laughs> <you know? laughs> <laughs> trying to, just trying to lay a, some hardwood and just. Just boom. Just boom. Infinite hole. The hole the core it, it's of the sort earth. of like the nothing, you yep. know? Yeah. Um, you're trying to make stuff and instead there's just nothing. Yep. So I think we got that we got that bug uh fixed. So by the time the podcast hits, you know, it'll be in the clear. But uh if you want to get involved in the iPhone X beta, we do need some iPhone X people. Yes. Or even just the iOS beta in general, because we've actually seen some really good uh, stability improvements for the game. It's just running a lot smoother, a lot better frame rates and stuff, aside from punching Whether holes through the world. Whether or not you have an iPhone X. Whether or not you have an iPhone Actually, especially if you don't have an iPhone X. Correct. Because the lower end iOS devices should see some pretty good uh, performance boosts. So uh, if you want to get in on that, feel free to, you can just hop into our Discord server, which is at discord.gg slash bscotch. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can just ask in there about how to get into the the iOS beta. You'll just see a channel called iOS, though, so it'll be... Just, just go, go, there. go just there and talk. Go in there. I'm sure there's a pin or an out. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? There's uh, information. But we also will be continuing to work on our Linux one, which we did a beta for a few weeks ago now. We ran into some bugs that were still dealing with, but we'll be, we'll soon need to kind of test the final resolution of this. So if that's something you're interested in too, just go ahead and get in there and, um, so that you're ready for that when we're, when we're ready yeah, to Yeah. The it. one bug that I'm really excited about having been fixed for the Linux is that the mouse wheel now works. Yes. So that's, mm. that's pretty good. It's <laughs> <laughs> rough. Well, that, that was really the main one. Cause that was the thing we had no workaround for. Yeah. We can't there just was make no, it work. Yeah. There was yeah. no way to make it work. The, the other ones, uh, it, the other ones we have workarounds for, if we have to deploy them, um, yeah. even if our engine doesn't, I also, this is a good time to talk about dependency on third parties mm-hmm. because what we're, what we're talking about here is the fact that our third party product that we use, our game engine from game maker, or I guess from yo-yo games, um, we're just dependent on them. So if they don't do something, if they have a bug that we can't work around or if they decide to go to a new version and then leave a legacy version behind, that's all stuff we have to deal with. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of people we talk to, this is their rationale for making their own game engines. I just want to say, if you make your own game engine, this also happens, except now you're responsible for fixing it. Yeah, you got work to do. <laughs> yeah. Instead of being like, I'll continue to work on my game, and then when that bug is fixed, then it's then just, it'll fixed. just be fixed right. now. Now you just don't work on your game yeah. for a so, while. <laughs> it's, also, it's also just a problem with any engine. So, I mean, this, happened, this has been the case in the Unity community for a long time. Yep. Um, yep. Even as big as Unity is and as powerful as that company is, um, I think there's been there's been some suite of I know there's some suite of 2D related features that have been talked about for like four years or something, but still haven't 
managed to squeeze in to the builds yeah. yet. <laughs> so yeah. everyone's a little frustrated with that. But yeah, and I mean, making making a, a framework like that is really hard, hard. you know. Yeah. And the fact is, it's. I think the analogy is, you know, it's like you're building a castle on quicksand, right? Mm-hmm. Because because what makes these engines useful and popular is that you can deploy to all kinds of different things, right? And so, like we we talked to, uh, or we like the Don't Starve crew. Mm-hmm. We know that that every time they want to bring Don't Starve to a new platform, right. they yeah, have build a bunch they have to times. rebuild the game, mm-hmm. right? Which is why you know they launched it on PC first. Well, that's and then, what, importantly, that's what happens if you make your own engine. If you make your own engine, yeah. So like right. when they wanted to bring it to Android, they couldn't just go, oh, we'll just like go to check the, a box. We'll just go to the drop down menu that says Android, and now it's on Android. They had to just remake the game, um, which is that's the fun times you get to have when you make your well, own. The same thing with when people request multiplayer from us. Uh, that's that's the sort of even though we're in an engine, that's the sort of scaled project that would require that we just rebuild the game. Just rebuild the 100%. game. 100%. <laughs> so, and so, so sometimes new form factors, like going to iPhone X, for example, you have to rebuild parts of it. Uh, yep. And then new platforms, you just got to like, we got to burn it down, start all over again. Yeah. And no so fun. so a lot of what these companies like Unity or Yo-Yo Games or Unreal, um, you know, what they have to deal with, or I guess Epic, uh, mm-hmm. what they have to deal with with their engines is that all these other companies, console makers, uh, OSs, you know, Steam, whatever, they're constantly constantly taking the corners off of their screens. Yeah, they're constantly <laughs> changing the specs for things to seek improvements. Oftentimes, they're just kind of arbitrary changes, but they're still changes that then those engine makers need to accommodate. Mm-hmm. And so, it's just not easy, and it's something that we are happy that we don't have to do ourselves. Mm-hmm. Even but if it, occasionally there's some headaches. Right? Yeah, but it does mean that we have to wait for fixes, but at least we don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if you're planning on making your own your own engine, still don't. Yeah, <laughs> still not a good move. Just don't. All right, yeah. let's get on to some questions. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get your question on a future episode, head over there, put some crap in the text box, and click submit. First question comes from... Monstradamus, <laughs> which is Monstradamus. awesome. Monstradamus, I believe. Monstrad or Monster Adam US. Mm-hmm. What do you think about alphas and betas in general? And are you planning to invite players to an alpha or beta for your next game? Thanks. They are fantastic. And, and strictly required. Well, so I want to talk about this. So there's, there's this idea called the curse of knowledge. It's coming from that made to stick book that I've been reading. And the curse of knowledge is basically that the closer you are to a thing, the less ability you have to see that thing for what someone who has no brush with it, no knowledge of it, uh, actually sees it for. So in the case of an alpha, for example, you might come in and you're like, this game kicks so much ass. It's so readable, so easy to understand. And then you give it to someone and guaranteed, guaranteed, just not the case. As good yeah. as you think your game is, as soon as you show it to someone, it just turns into a flaming dumpster pile. And um, I think there's there's just a good... It's a good exercise to do regularly because you learn a bunch of stuff, uh, but then also because it kind of keeps your it keeps your understanding of where players actually are and where you need to be a little more fresh in your mind yeah. when you see more people with it. Yeah, that also means though that you can't you can't continuously turn towards the same people. Correct for your alpha because in or your alphas because you're just passing on that curse. Yep. And yeah, I got to get fresh meat mm-hmm. each time. Fresh sacrifices. Yeah. And show your game to people who you don't think would like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is this is something that uh, there's a great scene in the show Silicon Valley where these group of engineers, they started up their product and they sent it out to all their friends to test it who are all computer uh, computer hardware engineers or software engineers in Silicon Valley. They sent them their product and everybody's like, this is fucking awesome. This is so good. Like, I totally get it. And then they sent, there was one person in their beta who hated it, just absolutely hated the thing that they made. And this was the one person who was also not a software engineer. So and they're like, well, you know, that's like, they just don't know what the fuck they're talking about. So then they deployed it and none of their customers understood what the fuck this thing was. Mm. Right. <laughs> and so uh, I think it's, it's easy to go into an alpha or a beta and like hand hand the game already to people who you're pretty confident would just like it because then you're going to get that pat on the back and people are going to be like, oh, you made a great thing. Uh, you should be nervous if you only get positive feedback yeah. during those early stages of development. Yeah. It is also tricky, though, because the people who are in the best position to give you useful feedback 
that'll help you make the game better and more understandable to the people who it's going to be for are also the very people who are going to be the least good at giving you feedback. Yep. Because what makes them so good at understanding what an average player is going to experience is that they're an average player, right? right? They have, uh, if they have no idea why, or maybe they have like some, a bunch of weird rationalizations why the thing's not working, yep. that's the best scenario. Right. You, gotta, you write those down and then you got to dig in and figure out what the heck is actually yeah. going on. Ign- ignore what they ignore what they said. Ignore their suggestions. But focus on the feelings that they were having. You know? I think yeah. the other nice thing about alphas, alphas in particular, um, the beta for Crash was a, was a relief in a lot of ways because I think, you know, we've been working on the game again for, I think it was like another, it was eight months or even a year from the alpha. Over a year. Over, over a year. year yep. And so, and that was also, we were trying to figure out when launch is going to happen and all this stuff. And so it was a relief because it, because it was working in the sense that, you know, we, we had people playing it for like a hundred hours, which is ridiculous. So, you know, at that point that you're not, people aren't just being nice to you about something. Right. Which people, is good. people, will, people will play something for 10 minutes sort of as a gesture. Right. You know, right. So nobody's going to dump a hundred hours into your game. Just so there's, <laughs> yeah, there's besides just having the, the, on the technical side, like the feedback, um, or even on the design side of the feedback, there's, there's actually a good morale boost. I think that it's, it's almost always come from, from playing, doing play tests where, it's really fun, even if even if it turns out that the thing is just not hitting the marks. Uh, yeah, it's an ego check and a morale boost simultaneously. Yes, and and sometimes they are the same, which is kind of weird. But yeah. like, it's because you get really excited because you're like, oh, we know why this sucks, which is a very right. different thing. <laughs> a very yeah. different thing than just suddenly knowing that it sucks, but not giving it getting yeah. feedback about it. So I I really enjoy them. I think we need to do one probably sometime soon. Yeah. So I think I think in terms of our general philosophy, just the way that we approach this stuff is uh, we. I don't really know what sort of the standard would be for what's an alpha and what's a beta or whatever. Um, the way that usually we've, beta means feature complete, but not content complete, but not, but not necessarily content complete. Okay. Um, we, we use beta as feature and content complete with the assumption that there are lots of bugs that need to be resolved or a few holes. Right. And for us, we use alpha to mean, uh, either feature complete, but not content complete or, uh, aspects of the game our feature complete and we want to test those aspects. Right. right? And so, um, but yeah, but different people do mean different things. And so you need to be careful kind of what, what, what you mean. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the first alpha for Crashlands didn't have, that was before the story was in. Um, there's only one biome. One biome, one biome. story. Uh, we had all the systems in, but I think they ended up changing quite a bit by the time they A hit. few of them did. Yeah. Full. No boss fights. Right. It was at 30 frames per second instead of 60. Yep. Just smooth. <laughs> so smooth. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, yeah. And so what we did leading up to the alpha was after our first six months of development, we started inviting people to play the game in, uh, well, Sam's apartment yeah, uh, or my apartment, whatever. It was a luxurious, we want to get them in a luxurious state of mind. Yeah. So we would just, we just <laughs> hand them a device, slap them down on the couch and then <laughs> just uh, slapped them. And they would just <laughs> they would just play the game. And then like Sam and I would each be perched on one arm of the couch, basically, and just kind of lurking behind like them. Very luxurious. And just kind of and just and we just had notepads. We 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 never said a word, and we just watched what they did and just took notes. Um, and sometimes they would narrate their experiences or whatever, but usually they would just play and we would just watch. And so. Um, you know, we had some people who would play and they would get so pissed off or frustrated because of some broken thing. They would try to throw themselves against it for like 10 minutes and they'd just be like, you know, what? I just don't, not worth it. this is not worth it. You know, right. and we'd be like, it's fair, it's fair point. Yeah. I mean, I think the first one of those we did, we had over uh, 200 sort of line items come out of our, that was 30 minutes of play testing. Yeah. We're, we're like, just oh, furiously <laughs> scribbling all the things that are wrong with the game. Everything's broken. And so, so really for us, you know, the, the early stage of the game is to get it into a point where where we have at least some sense of a tutorial or some way to show the player how to play and that the the core concept of the game is to a point where it's realized enough that somebody could play it and we can start to ask really hard questions about what works with that and what doesn't. Yeah, because the thing, things in a game are so interdependent that you can't get meaningful feedback until all those interdependent parts as you think that you want them to be are actually in place. Right. Because if you're missing anything and then you get feedback, then that feedback might become irrelevant the moment you actually add that thing. Yeah. And so it, there, there's a certain degree of kind of feature completeness that is required for you to get meaningful feedback from anybody. Yeah, we definitely felt that with uh, with Crashlands in particular. We had to, a few of the points from the alpha. People were like, I enjoy the gameplay, but I don't know why I'm playing. Like, it feels kind of pointless. Right. 
And, you know, we could make a bunch of changes to various systems to try to do that, but the reality was it was missing the story. Yeah, which was the thing that actually pointless. gave you, it was genuinely <laughs> yeah. pointless. And so it's one of those things where, you know, if we tried to solve that problem by fixing all the other systems to like orient them toward that, then it probably would have broken the whole game versus right. saying, okay, we have a systems hole here. Let's put, you know, some narrative in there. Yeah. So it's something you have to do. Yeah. You absolutely. have to, you have to get feedback from people. You have to test the game. I think, you know, and especially even if you're a really small team, you know, we would do this thing, um, like with Quadrupus, we, we enlisted a, uh, at least a dozen or so people who were not, not even people in St. Louis per se, but uh, people across who are reporters for different uh, uh, different websites and stuff to give the game an early playthrough and check out and to give us any feedback weeks before we were going to launch. Uh, part of the idea there was that these people probably know what they're looking for more than we do and probably are better at putting it into words. So we sort of picked those ones uh, and that's where, you know, having the boss fight in Quadrupus Rampage came from. So yeah, even Pete, if you're super Pete small. Pete and Quadrupus Rampage was added two weeks before launch. Yeah which is the whole story of the game. Mm-hmm. Right. But again, <laughs> the feedback was this game is fun, but it's pointless, which maybe, which apparently we have a tendency to make uh, pointless yet fun games. Uh, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so you absolutely have to do it. Even if it's just, you know, a few friends, uh, even if it's like a dozen people, you just do something. Cause it'll, it'll add so much power to the game overall that it's kind of ridiculous. Just remember, yeah. don't do it too early and yeah. make sure you know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's especially frustrating if you show it to someone and you're like, all right, so here's the deal. I know these systems are broken. I know the art in this particular area is garbage. Yep. Don't worry about those things. And then they just get like hung up on something. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like, like shut up. Yeah, that, yeah. Well, that's the, if that's the case though, then don't show it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like if, if you have to hedge it in all these different ways, well, there's another thing that people do when they show people their games, which drives me insane, which is they, they tell people how they should feel about things. Mm-hmm. So they'll hand somebody a game and they'll be like, here comes the good part. Oh, so this is going to be so cool. And it's like, no, kind of like watching a YouTube video with a friend, you yeah. know, yeah, like when exactly. they want to show yeah. you one. It's like, just let it, let it speak. Let yeah. It do yeah. Its, thing. it's like, no, you don't get to tell the player how they're going to feel yeah. about the game. That's the game's job. Mm-hmm. Right. And so just yeah. don't. Yeah. If you, if you find yourself wanting to say anything don't. when you're doing an alpha or a beta or just, or showing your game at all, if you find yourself wanting to say something, then you failed. Mm-hmm. And write that down because that's something you got to fix. Yeah, you got to fix that. Yeah, that's one of the bugs in your. We tend to let people struggle for at least like three to five minutes on a particular thing before we're like, okay, you just hit this button to fix it. Uh, Because (laughs) we write that down. Yeah, they're like, okay, I gotta fix that. (laughs) So because we because we want we also want to see what people try, like what kinds of things are they going to do or what do they expect to happen? Um, Because the way that people struggle to solve problems when you haven't done a good job of explaining things is actually very informative Mm -hmm. as to what kinds of solutions people are going to look for. Yeah. It, it reveals people's expectations. Yeah. All right. So let's go on to the next question. It's from angry muffin, uh, who says in episode 84, you talked about how difficult it is to name and categorize your games. Have you thought about how to describe scuffle buddies yet? Well, yes. Or is it still <laughs> too early? Uh, I've been thinking about it a lot. Pretty sure I know how to, but I'm not talking about it yet. Just in case it's a bad idea. Well, I want to talk about the problem of categories just in general and what it means to be in a category. I'm a firm believer that, that if you have no category at all, you're better off than having any particular category. Because you've, you're creating a category. Yeah. I'm dubious about that. I know. This is an argument we have constantly, (laughs) but it's good. Like it's good to have that. Those two sides. It's good to have those two sides. So so the, the idea behind categories is that People have only a certain amount of shelf space in their brains to hold certain things of certain categories. So if I said to somebody, you know, hey, name five uh, crafting games, they'd be like Minecraft, maybe Terraria, maybe Don't Starve, maybe Crashlands, probably Probably not, not. right? (laughs) We're far down that list. (laughs) um, And anything beyond that, is going to be essentially random from person to person. But there's always going to be a few games that are just there on everybody's list in that category. And if but you that look, isn't true of like an RPG, Who, who's going to have the same items in that list? True. But if you said... Uh, Specify a little more though. Right. If you said like yeah. a JRPG mm-hmm. or... Or like a 3D open world RPG... Right. And so, so this, so this is the point right. here is still not the same one though, because there are a jillion of those. But Skyrim's going to be on there. Skyrim, the Witcher and Fallout. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so if somebody even really thinks about those as RPGs. Right. So, so the, so the important yeah, point man. here is figuring out when you talk about your game, how do you create a perception that it's 
that it's in a different category, mm-hmm. even if it isn't. So I, I think know. about, say, like No Man's Sky, which, again, we always come back to as an interesting marketing example because mm-hmm. they just made a crafting game. They right. made a procedural crafting game, right? Um, but by doing the whole, like, universe exploration thing, they sidestepped the idea that this is just Minecraft in space, right? right. <laughs> um, and and all they talked about was just how big it was, and they focused on the universe, not the crafting. Mm-hmm. And I and I actually I didn't even know that there was crafting until after the game came out because they never really talked about that fact. Um, so it sort of slipped into this category of uh, an adventure, open mostly. universe, open universe RPG, adventure right. RPG or right. something. Yeah, and so so I think the the difficulty that we had when we were marketing Crashlands was we we kept bumping into sort of the there's this ceiling in the crafting category uh, that. And, and even in survival, right? Mm-hmm. Which people kept calling Crash into survival game. We never called it that. That's something it's that- Because I'm, crafting and survival tend to actually go together. Right. Most games plunk them together. Right. And so there there are these sort of, these dominant players already in these categories who just have sort of, you know, they've accumulated all the players. Sort of sucked all the oxygen out of that particular container, if right. you will. And so we just, we couldn't get as much traction as we needed to. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to scuffle buddies, you know, we can't, we can't yet talk about what category we will put it in, mm-hmm. but we're going to try to find a way to sidestep people's preconceived notions about what kind of a game this might be or right. what its competitors are. Because the fact is, uh, it actually is going to be incredibly different than anything people have seen. Yeah. The, the challenge is going to be convincing people that that's the case. Well, so right? yeah, but the, the, the other challenge, which is the idea of where categories are very useful is because you need something when you're when you're marketing a game or you're marketing any idea, there's the combination of both familiarity and surprise that you want to have. You want to have both of those things put together. Um, because if something's completely outside the realm of what someone's thought about, then it tends to be much harder to figure out, it, it tends to be much harder to simulate whether or not you'd enjoy it, right? Yeah. So if you said, okay, you know, here's, here's a sports car that, you know, goes zero to 62 seconds. You're like, cool, I have an idea of a sports car, neat. If I was like, here's a, Here's a sport wagon that is has a, like a rocket booster on the back of it. Uh, also, it goes over waves like it's a boat. Actually, it's a wagon. It's a boat. wagon boat. <laughs> Are you in the market for a wagon boat? You're gonna like, be like, I, I have, have no fucking idea. I haven't idea really thought about it. <laughs> so it, sort of, it does sound interesting. It, it does sound interesting, pretty dope. But your ability, like, <laughs> your ability to simulate, like, if you would enjoy it, kind of gets hampered by the lack of a of an actual categorical understanding of that thing. Yeah. yeah. So it, and my whole argument though, is that genres as categorization tools don't actually provide information. They are weak. Yeah. Which means that the best that they can do is make somebody have the wrong idea about your product. Well, there's another interesting part about genres for games. So, so if you think about genres for movies, um, so we saw Thor this weekend mm-hmm. or Sam and I did Adam, I don't know. I didn't, didn't make I it. I don't know. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't make it. Make it. Um, make it. My wife is still catching up on the MCU, so I'm I'm waiting until she gets there, and then I will be watching. To be fair, I yeah. thought I was caught up, and then they were talking about a bunch of stuff, and it's like I have no idea what they're talking about. Well, so, I am otherwise so, caught up. Though, yeah, so they they did a really good job yeah. in Thor of just sort of allowing you to start. I think they acknowledged that the previous two Thor movies are kind of bad, so they just <laughs> kind of they're like, let's just kind of. Let's start fresh. And they just made a couple references back to them, ah. but to the point of like dismissively almost. Um, so that was good. But I think there's an interesting thing that Thor did. And I think Guardians of the Galaxy is doing as well, which is previously people would just be like superhero movie. It's a superhero movie. What you do is you got a character with superpowers and there's a villain and they punch the shit out of each other mm-hmm. in the end credits. Right. Um, with the modern superhero, like there've been so many superhero movies that people are starting to go fatigued. People are like, what can we do with this? So now like the new Thor movie, it's a superhero comedy, right? Like it's not just like an action movie. And actually most of them are trending in that direction too, right? Guardian of the Galaxy kind of started that. Iron Man was sort of the original where it was actually very funny. Yeah. Well, think, and think about like Logan, like it's a, Mm -hmm. it's a really serious drama that's really, really sad. Yeah. But it's a superhero movie, right? right? Or Jessica Jones, right? right. Which We're is just, like a, it's like a, it's a real uh, gritty kind of crime, like a noir. It's like a private eye, yeah, yeah. Show <laughs> where she just happens to also have a superpower that they underplay the shit out of, right? Yeah, because it's not about that, right? She's real strong, but she also is very breakable. You yeah, know? so like she'll have a broken rib, 
you know, one one episode and like the next two episodes, she's just like, fuck, ow, my rib, <laughs> which is not something that happens to superheroes right. normally. But there are, but I mean, like if you were to take that as an example, there's, there's some sort of horror elements, there's some sort of romance elements, there's some, because of course it's not, you can't just encapsulate the thing as, as a, as a superhero movie. Yeah. Or as a noir or whatever. Well, and the, if you did, I just, I don't believe that that's good. I just don't believe. Well, I, it's the thing is, I, I don't quite agree because I think that's it's really easy for people to get understanding. So if I said, so for example, like you start, you start with the initial genre, which is the superhero genre, right? Started a couple, like decades ago. I don't ago. like superhero movies. Well, maybe you do. No, I'm not listening anymore. Right. <laughs> that's totally possible. That's, yeah, it's probably. But I think that's, that's where you start. If you start piling these things together, then you say, oh, it's a superhero noir movie. Like, that sounds interesting. Or a superhero romance flick. Don't like romance. Or if you hate noir movies. Well, yeah. this is actually, that's an interesting <laughs> point because there was, a, there was a marketing guy who was talking about the problem of this because as you add genres to your sort of theoretical list of how you described your game, the Venn diagram, like people- it's smaller. People require that they have both of the genres or right. all three of the genres before right. they're like, this sounds like a thing I'd be interested in. So if I said, hey, this is an action comedy uh, romance game. You're like, like, ooh, romance. Well, movie. romance, I don't like. Action comedy, I'm all about. Or if you're like, ooh, game. Ooh. Or you're like, it's an action <laughs> comedy like horror. Like, I wouldn't play that, even though I'd probably actually enjoy the shit out of it, right? So it's like, you. there's that interesting point, which mm -hmm. is, you don't want to stack too many Venn diagram rings yeah. together, because otherwise you end up with a really small... Well, because people, people have decided that they hate stuff, right? That is yeah. <laughs> both true and weird. Yeah, yes. and, and I have presumably sort of a, you know, socio-cultural... Uh, product uh, which is that i have no interest in romance as a as a as a genre right mm -hmm. but it's actually as i've talked about with my wife it's because i grew up thinking it was a bad thing because everybody told me that it was and so i actually don't know i knew literally nothing about it it was just a thing i hated right right, right. which is and usually how which is usually how people, <laughs> hate things, things, people hate exactly and That's uh weird. So, yeah so and, and if you were to think about any one genre that you supposedly hate hmm? how many of the things have you actually seen in that genre I, i'd peg it near zero yeah. right but uh, horror movies I'm good on. Saw enough of this. Like, yeah, but yeah. a lot of them are actually comedies, you know, and like, mm -hmm. uh, but, but there are certain things obviously that, that once you have seen or even just know the content of, you could know that you're going to hate, like right. say torture movies or right. something, right? Uh, that's unambiguously fucked up. And if you're in that kind of thing, <laughs> questionable. Just, right? <laughs> so, just don't. Just don't. Hey. Uh, but, but, and, and so this is the thing that, bugs me about genres is that they, they convey no information and they give they, people things to hate, but they give people things to hate. But I guess this thing is like, I, the question is, is the problem with the genre or with everybody else? No, it's with everybody else. But that that's the problem is that's who we're selling games right. to. <laughs> so is everybody is people. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. And but, because I think about, I always think about this from my own perspective, because especially my, my sort of gaming background was, was never ever focused on genre as a thing. Um, I liked certain kinds of play styles. So I liked first person shooters, right? That's kind of how I like to play games. Um, but I don't like, you know, like Battlefield and these like really mm -hmm. big military kinds of games. I, I prefer like Half-Life and and that sort of stuff. So so I kind of, for me, it was always this vibe I was looking for where the sort of like you're playing as the main character where you're kind of like fighting stuff in this per first person view. And it's kind of this fast twitch kind of a game. Um, but I, but I, I played horror games. So I was playing like the fear games. You know, I played more comedic ones like, uh, uh, what do we call it? Portal, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and TF2 and like all these other kinds of things. So I played a lot of those kinds of things because I liked that general play style, but wasn't ever paying attention or looking for the genre, mm. right? And for me, like the, because I had those sort of grown, like sort of embedded feelings of dislike or disinterest in certain kinds of categories because, so take like RPGs. Mm -hmm. RPGs to me, the first RPGs I played were boring as fuck and mm -hmm. I did not like them at all, right? <laughs> And the thing you remember that which ones them, they were? I don't remember which ones they were. They're just so boring. Just, yeah, just, just, just deleted. Yeah, but back when I was, you know, in like high school probably, right? Uh, but so my, in, for me, my perception of an RPG is it's set in medieval times. Mm -hmm. It has infinite text that I have to read. Mm -hmm. Definitely. There's elves. a lot of inventory management. There's elves and orcs and like it's, it's tropey as all hell, mm -hmm. right? And, and to me, when I hear RPG, I think of my first RPG experience. Right. When I hear... Uh, sci-fi. Now, now I've read so much sci-fi that if I hear the word sci-fi, now it has become meaningless. Actually, right? But certain things like RPG, uh, to me, do carry a meaning, and it's not a good one. Hmm. Even though RPG doesn't mean shit, right? Right. All of these genres are actually just as meaningless as each other. But for some people, certain genres have a lot of meaning. And my bet is that when it does, the more meaning it has, the more likely it is that they don't like it. What do you mean? 
As in like, if RPG means something specific to you, it's either because you love a very specific kind of RPG or you hate or all, you, of all of them. Or you've only played mm. one or two right. that maybe weren't the best examples. Right. Yeah, because who says they love RPGs and they play both like Banner Saga and Fallout 3 and love them to the same degree mm. and thinks of them both as RPGs in, in the, the same, same sense. Right. right. Well, I think, but this is an interesting point because like, the question basically becomes, how do you actually talk about a game? Because the truth is, like, you you do need to describe it. There's no, you, you have to describe do it so people you? can understand it. That's, yeah, I think you do. You well, no, you don't. I think you do. What do you so mean you can do? We, should we talk about our A-B test that we did? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. All right, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen, so <laughs> on Google Play, you can do A-B tests. And we've been, we've been fooling around. And we thought, we can do A-B tests. Let's really do some A-B Let's tests. Let's do something weird. So we did an A-B test where we literally deleted the description of Crashlands. <laughs> <laughs> Took it all out. So half of people who saw our store page saw a description. And the other half just saw a couple of quotes from the credibility things. Yeah. So like touch arcade, like game of the year or whatever, literally no other information. Mm -hmm. So, you know, normally we have like a feature list. We describe what the game is. Guess what? They performed essentially identically, which is kind of upsetting. So, <laughs> so we, but did. also for a while, we, the, the little taglines, that's another thing you can control, mm -hmm. right? Actually referred to, you know, it was like a crafting adventure RPG or whatever. And so I deleted RPG because, like, that's the thing I in my brain means bad, right? And I was right. like, this must mean bad to other people, too. So I just took that out of there. And again, no statistical change. Right. Which definitely means that people aren't using that as a reason to buy things. But they're also not, they're not using it at all. They're not using it at all. Right. Right. And because so it doesn't mean anything. So what we're learning is maybe what you say about the game just doesn't fucking matter. Maybe. At all. You just got to <laughs> show, show stuff. Yeah. You got to show what the game is. Yep. But like it's also where the the power of the of the art, and then like usually the one particular angle, because you have to take an angle verbally to be able to talk about it, right? You have to take one, um, whether it's like a the store bilingual. All the stores require a ton of text, so you yeah. can't get away with literally not putting anything in there. Because the reason why we left the, the that block of those credibility building statements in there was because we had to have text in there. We couldn't just have you nothing. can't have a blank score. They don't section. allow you to have nothing. So so you do, and then of course you have to pick genres to put it in categorically on the storefronts. So the question is like, would you put Crashlands first into the RPG category or into the adventure category? Yeah. And then, then and what's the your rankings? And I think importantly, what the fuck do adventure and role-playing game mean? Because yeah. Yeah. you're could usually it, going on an adventure. Because like, Minecraft possible? is in one and then Terraria is in another. If you like look at how games are put into genres there, uh, they're actually... It, it's basically random. Yeah, but like if you go into the if you go into the role playing game section of say Google Play, it ranges from like Final Fantasy to Crashlands to like you're a hairstylist at a at a salon. Right. Yeah. Because those are all role playing. Those games. are all role playing games, and that is a completely fair mm -hmm. label for literally yeah. any of those. Just as it's a so, fair label so for why, every game. Right. So why <laughs> why use that as a category? Well, and same with adventure. Right. The whole idea, like a, a fucking match three puzzle game, is an adventure. It can know? be. You're going on a roller coaster ride of emotions. You're like, All am I going to match it? No. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, the, the interesting thing is that when you when you start blending the genres, those usually where the fun mechanics come out. So I think of yeah, you must build a boat, for example, um, for just a phenomenal version of this, where it's it is a match game, it's a matching puzzle game, but it's actually this RPG adventure. I'm using all those words at the same time and. That Venn diagram overlaps like really effectively in this particular case yeah. as far as describing what that is. Yeah. But, but, I think that's but it only does once you've played right. But on the store, you got to pick one. Oh, yeah. You got to put a category. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. one is it? But also, I don't think it serves well as a selling point. I think it serves well to describe the game once you've played it. Right. Because if you play, if you play, you must build a boat and you're trying to well, figure out how to like, how do I, how do I compare this to other things that I've played in a way that kind of makes them make sense. And, and then. That's really, it's a literal mashup of a few other game types, mm -hmm. right? And you can, so you can easily do that. But if you were to tell me like, hey, there's this awesome game you should go play. It's a, it's an RPG adventure match. Well, let's let's like, talk about this real quick. No, thank you. A game we mentioned a few weeks ago, just to sort of test this idea because uh, Kit Fox's boyfriend dungeon, right? Yeah. Well, you didn't, you didn't a, tell me anything about the genre though. You just told me what happens in the game. And what I'm going to experience. I mean, which it's that's a the dungeon part crawler. You go in. <laughs> it's a dungeon crawling romance game. I don't care about that. What I cared about was when you said you go in, you find weapons, and then you date them. And then you <laughs> date them. That was what I needed to hear. I need to hear that little tagline. Sure. 
Like, because if the tagline of that game, so it's like boyfriend dungeon, and then the tagline is date your weapons, you know? Like, I would look into that. Mm-hmm. That's intriguing. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, this goes into an interesting point because there's, there's a part of marketing which is about specificity. And the idea here is that the more specific that you can get about what a thing actually does, oftentimes the more the more someone actually feels like they might understand what it is. And that's kind of what you're getting but at. But does that make them more likely to want it? No, no, I'm, yeah. I mean, I think and in the case it, of boyfriend dungeon. And does it close does. other people out too? Is the other question. Well, so we're talking about different things. So I'm, I'm arguing your point, which mm-hmm. is that saying this is an RPG or yeah. saying this is an adventure is actually not, as you're saying, describing it. Right. And so if instead you can pick, you just pick up a very specific thing yeah. about it. So in Tile Fight's case, it was shoot animals out of your face. If you like that's, that byline, that's you're your gonna like the game. Yep, you're gonna <laughs> have a good time. Yep. Uh, in the boyfriend dungeon case, date your weapons. Yeah. Weird. Okay. Right. Yeah, I'm into it. I'll watch the trailer and check it out. So, so you fire up Tal fight. You are now shooting animals out of your face, and you're promised. like, "This is what I signed up for." <laughs> right. I, so, but I think that's an interesting point. Is that the what you're getting at is essentially that the 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 genres are. It kind of goes back to this curse of knowledge thing, right? You think there's actually a really funny study that was mentioned in the Made to Stick thing, which is called the the Tappers and Listeners Study where they would task, say, Seth, you with, with tapping out the, like the Star Spangled Banner or something. And then the other person has to listen and try to guess what the song is. Ah. And 75% of the time, the person tapping it out thinks that the other person should know it. Like, like oh, yeah, they're going to get it for sure. Right. It's like 2% of the time does the other person actually <laughs> get it, right? So this idea is this curse of knowledge thing. Yeah, I, yeah. I wonder how much this has to do actually with picking genres too. Because it's like, you know what you mean because you've been playing the yeah. shit of this game. Right? By, oh, it's an adventure. It's you an know, action crafting RPG is what makes we perfect say sense. And it Crash does. Lands. Like when I'm yeah. thinking about Crashlands, book makes perfect sense. And if you've played Crashlands, it will also make perfect mm-hmm. sense. But if you haven't, yeah, then which is the one is person, which is the only person need, that matters. We need to <laughs> right. convey the information. So to. I think yeah. I think that's probably a good point. Which is just going back to the to the question, picking actually a specific way to talk about it, a very specific thing that you do in the game, um, even if that ends up being a part of the genre. Like, I think that's yeah. the point where it's okay. Yep. Because for example, if you're like date your weapons, like dating is. That's a romance mechanic, right? People know what that means. I don't really know what that means. I don't know how to date either, but you know, like that's the thing. So that's what makes me curious. Yeah. But like in a video game, I think people often ask questions like how come like relationships and stuff in video games are so one dimensional, whereas the violence in games is so like wide ranging, Mm -hmm. right? I think it's because stabbing something is a real simple like move. It's actually, it's actually one dimensional. Right. You just go. And you just like put a knife in a thing. And the question is just, am I stabbing or not? Am I stabbing or not? It's a, it's a true false it's statement, true, right. right? But if you want to date somebody, oh, that's, that's real complicated. complicated. There's yeah. a lot of factors that go into dating. Yeah. Unless you just ask, are, are we dating or not? True, false. True, false. Then that's a pretty mm-hmm. good one. Well, do you think that's kind of how it worked in eighth grade. I this kind of goes yeah. back to the, like the actual core of it then is just pick a really specific descriptive thing. I think about this, uh, there's a downhill racing game that came out or announced came out uh, recently. And the guy wrote up an article on, on games industry about how to talk about marketing these things. And he had this idea, there's a differentiation between a, the hook and the kicker and how people get them confused. So in his case, they made a very true to life sort of a downhill mountain biking game, which is awesome because that doesn't exist. So people know what that is. Again, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not just a genre. He wasn't just like, it's a sports game. It's a downhill mountain biking game. And then the kicker, so that's the hook, the kicker procedurally generated. Mm-hmm. So every time you go flying down this mountain, like it's a different thing. It's fun. Um, but that's also like, that's, he's leaning on a very specific thing. But he's saying, actually, he's also saying though, that, that it being procedurally generated cannot be a hook. Correct. Because that's old, so that's old many news games now. have that. Yeah. But I think that's the point is that if you, if you were to, to describe it, say as a sports game or just a biking game, right. Then you're not, getting the point across and maybe yeah. that's what it is and like and i wouldn't specific. care about a biking game but if you describe it as like i get to bike downhill on like and like, and I, like i'm thinking about about like avoiding obstacles and mm-hmm. stuff because if you just call it a biking game i'd be like what so i'm like i'm doing like, like pedaling yeah right. like, what's fuck what delivering mean? newspapers right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no if it was a, if it was a newspaper delivery game that might be a slash, game, slash right? obstacle course yeah right which so yeah, i think be, be specific fun. and try to find a thing this is what kind of what we talked about last week which is find a thing that you can talk about that people just naturally get excited about with. I think this is where Crashlands has been our marketing bane of existence, which is that it has a whole bunch of fun stuff in it, but there's not a, there's not a thing that we or anybody else has pointed to that says like, 
that just sort of in some way encapsulates it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no. Well, I even remember the so we had when we did got in the PAX ten. Um, Tycho, one of the guy from Penny Arcade, so he played it and he wrote a little blurb about it, and it was just like. It was essentially the same problem we had been having, which he's he like, was like, I can't describe this game because it has everything. Yeah. yeah. He's it's, like, it, it seemed like they had so much fun making this game that they couldn't stop like adding, adding cool stuff, stuff to it. <laughs> and that was it. Like he couldn't, yeah. which can be okay though. <laughs> like that can totally be okay. But if all we had, like if it was the case that, like, like the, so, so Flux only interacts with things by slapping them, mm-hmm. you know? So, which kind of is a good way to boil down that game. Yeah, you know? it's actually, it's just, you just slap stuff, right? So if we could find a way to take something like that and just make a tight little message. Slap that's the world. actually, yeah, like slap the world, right? Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe we can make that intriguing again. Like we talked about, I think, I think it was last week about that uh, Death Road to Canada, which again, mm-hmm. you could describe that game in Zombie its entirety. apocalypse game. Sounds completely interesting. Until you pull in the line. It has dogs. It has that dogs that drive cars. <laughs> now, now I'm on board. Right? And I think that's, yeah. that's the is that the hook or is that the kicker? So I think it's both in that case. Yeah, that was just good. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I think that that's the thing. Is like Crashlands was designed just to be a great gameplay experience. Well, you could also mix overall. Too. So in the case of Death Road to Canada, it's like you could say this is a, a post-apocalyptic party-based RPG where you have dogs that can drive your car. Now it's like, yeah. bah, like I, I got to say though, specific. You actually lost me though. Maybe I did because yeah. I got so bored with all the, cause the hook, the hook <laughs> isn't that it's a zombie. It's, it's the survival. dog drive your car. Yeah. Okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Cause you basically like, you're like, you basically said, this is a terrible trope game that mm-hmm. also has dogs in it. <laughs> it's a good idea. It's good. Yeah. So this, is, this references the idea of not burying your lead. Yeah. Right. So in the headlines bleeds, case, it leads. Well, in the headlines case, it's like, don't give me all the backstory about what happened. Tell me what happened first. And then give me the backstory. Yeah. You're pull a, with Tarantino. Yeah, Tarantino it. Tarantino, everything you do. You just like dogs drive cars in this game. Also, it's part of base RPG. Because <laughs> that's yes. a further detail. Have no your dog, if, if it was like, have your dog drive you through the apocalypse or yeah. something, you're like, yes. Yeah. Sign me so, up. All right, let's get on to. Hey, we, should, we should maybe try some taglines on with our Google Play A-B testing with Crashlands. Just like, just weird ones. I'm down. Slap the world. I mean, the fact like is it. we could like probably it. delete them entirely and it wouldn't matter. Yeah. It so might not. We should actually have one that's blank. Just replace it with a single space character. Or just a smiley face. Or that one <laughs> really, really, really long face with like a dot on one end and underscore <laughs> and a dot. <laughs> so you pull it up, it's just this face looking, just at, looking you. at you. <gasps> All right, so let's get on uh, to next right. question, which is from Woland77. And I don't know, I don't know if we have an answer for this one. All so right, hit me. Woland77 says, you talk a lot about passions and chasing yours. Do you have any advice for people who have not found their passions? I just want to clarify that I don't have one. Also, me. Yeah, we don't actually. I think a lot of people I interpret have, what we talk about that way, but yeah. we don't actually really talk about passion a lot. Mm-hmm. I actually got, I was always very confused and annoyed in college because that's what everyone's always talking about. And you go to these career seminars where you're like, I'm trying to find, figure out what I'm trying to do. And they're like, just find your passion. And I was like, I'm, am I not? Do I not have this? Is this not a thing I have? And what I realized is mine is a general diffuse version. I don't have a, like a, even games, like I don't have a particular thing where I'm just like, I love this so much that this is just what I'm all about. It's actually the doing and the process oriented around the doing that I really, really enjoy. That's sort of where the, the nebulous passion lies, which no one talks about that being a possibility. You can just love executing or that you can love like process orientation. Yeah. Well, I think the, the yeah the, the framing that people tend to use with passion is they pick a thing, right. playing piano, as opposed to a way. whatever. Yeah, as opposed to just kind of a way of a way of living. So there's a a book by the astronaut Scott Kelly. It's called Endurance. Uh, I just started reading it, but he so he was the astronaut who spent over a year in the International Space Station. And at the outset, I started reading this book, and I was just like, wow, this is very telling because apparently. He was a terrible student, like straight F's, because he didn't give a shit about sitting in a desk and reading. All he ever wanted to do was go outside and like crash things and like ride bikes really fast and jump off of stuff and like mm-hmm. crawl through things he wasn't supposed to go into. <laughs> um, and of course, he was a problem student, right? Nobody wanted him around. The teachers just ignored him because he never gave a shit. Um and it turned out that where, where other people would see that and they'd be like, well, he doesn't have, he doesn't care. Like he doesn't have a passion for anything. And it's like, no, he just likes to go take risks. Right. Like he has this, a passion for risk taking. Right. Which, <laughs> right. which uh, like concept. that's not, yeah. So it's like, it's more of a concept. It's more of just like a way of living. 
And it's not about playing the piano or something like that. It's just whatever he could do that kind of tapped into that thing that he liked. And the beauty of having a passion for a way of approaching the world just in general is that now you can go do almost anything. anything. Yeah. And actually, and as long as you're still keeping the part of the, you know, still focusing on that part that you really care about, then now you can do anything. You're not, you're not restricted to being in one industry or in any particular domain. You can, you can be a guy who loves almost dying while riding a bike and then become an astronaut as a consequence. Right. Cause they're actually very closely related. Thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, um, presumably he also loved to work really hard though. Cause that's another requirement yeah. for, uh, he didn't though. I mean, it just, it's, it's not about loving working hard. It's about just feeling like the thing you're doing is interesting and fun. Right. Yeah. I think that's, we've talked about this before about the, the misattribution onto discipline as being the important thing when it's like, you need to find the way to do things that doesn't require that you're so that you're battling it all right. the time or that you're working they're quote unquote working hard. Cause like we put in, we put in a ridiculous amount of work here, both yeah. in terms of focus. Like whenever anybody comes to visit, they're like, what? It's just silent. People are just crunching. You just hear away. keyboard clacks. Yeah. But then everybody gets up at four and like goes to the gym and leaves. Right. Yep. And maybe reads at home, does some work at home. But, but like the feeling of it is not, it doesn't feel like it's hard yeah. work. Yeah. If that makes sense. And I think it's because of the way that it's approached. Well, so, somebody asked me last week uh, what I would do if I wasn't making games. Mm. And I was like, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like whatever yeah. I did, it yeah. would be really interesting to me. Like, <laughs> like it doesn't <laughs> matter to you. Yeah. Like yeah. It, would, it wouldn't matter. And this is something that drives me crazy. If I, so many people I, I talk to and I ask them about, you know, what they're doing on the day to day and they don't want to talk about it. They're just like, Oh, like I manage accounts for, you know, this shipping company and we, you know, we route things across the country. And I'm like, holy shit, that is fucking awesome. Like mm-hmm. what, what's that like, you know? Yeah. And, and, uh, how do, I, how do goods get to people? How do you do that? Like, I don't know how anything goes anywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's, there has, this has to be a really interesting set of problems to solve. Right. And so, uh, I, I think anything you do can be interesting if you just approach it from that angle. It was into my, to my, uh my best buddies used to work at shell and they had a guy who was retiring and this guy was the, he became the dude who, who was the one who uh, simulates flow through pipes. That he's was the his, pipe, the pipeman, the pipeman. And he's like the one person, one of the, one of the few people in the world who just like did this for 40 years or something. And he gave this presentation before he left though, sort of like, here's a bunch of the knowledge about how this works just for you guys. And my friend said it was like, it was the most mind blowing thing because it was just it's just pipes like it's just stuff going through pipes but how the, hard could it be but hydrodynamics <laughs> is really good hydrodynamics is really hard and then on top of that like the level of of complexity that like this guy approached to work with yeah was just incredible where you could see if he if he had made applied to say how a refinery works or how a social media campaign is run i mean that dude would have just he, he would be quote unquote the pipe guy anywhere like he's right. that sort of person right <laughs> yeah um, so, so again it's not about this guy growing up wasn't like my passion is figuring out how liquid flows through yeah. tubes. That's my thing. <laughs> I'm going to do that for 40 years. It was, he just had a, a way of approaching this kind of a thing that allowed him to just be really fucking pumped about it and always find new and interesting ways to think about it. Right. And so I think that would be the, the way to start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Or at least that's where I've gotten to it because I didn't ever have one. So, you know, yeah. I have to, you gotta, you have to be, want to be alive for some reason. So I think either it's for a particular thing, which I do think is fine. If you're just like, I'm all about piano. Cool. Enjoy yourself. But if you don't necessarily have one, don't worry about it. Because if you, if you can create and then fall in love with the way of doing things or a particular way of living, then you're, you're and you can do spot. anything. Yeah. You can crash bikes all day and go be an Technically astronaut. you can get paid for that. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> You got to sometimes not crash though. I mm-hmm. think in order, to, in order to actually be a professional. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay. Uh, next question comes from T juice. I'm not sure. What the, is it T or is it juice? It's the letter T and then juice. Mm-hmm. I think so it's just T. Could be tangerine. <laughs> it might just be T. T juice is just T. Uh, hello, B Scotch Bros. What is your recommendation for getting into PC and web programming? Is college a good route to get started hmm. towards game dev while still being able to snatch a job in an effort to provide for your family? Mm-hmm. Or is oh, getting a job part? Or is self-taught better due to cost? 
So, well, before we, before we hit this, I want to point out that this is a recommendation for PC and web programming and game dev. Yeah. Which is a lot. We're going to, we're spreading too thin here. Because game dev is not programming. Right. Game dev is. It requires Simulating entire universes. With your mind. With your mind. (laughs) Turn that into programming. Yeah. Programming is just the tool that you use to make the games. Well, it's, uh, it's one of the tools. It's one of the use. tools. But just being able to program doesn't mean you're going to be able to make games mm-hmm. successfully. Yeah. There's, there's other stuff. Yeah. So the question is, when it comes, to, true about when it comes to learning programming versus learning game development, the question is, do you want to have to learn everything or just programming? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think a, a better question, too, is which one is which one gets better support from a formal education structure? Yeah. Game dev does not. Game yeah. dev does not, from what Definitely. we've seen. Yes. Yeah, if you if you go into any kind of a, a formalized game development program in any school, you um, walk away knowing nothing. Yeah, uh, virtually guaranteed. Um, and it's also the case that, that there are some good ones. We shouldn't say like that's why I said virtually. Yeah. You know, I'd say <laughs> but there are few enough that yeah, statistically speaking. Yeah, but, but I think importantly, there's there's a becoming a good game developer re- requires uh, you to strive toward mastery over a huge number of disciplines, including psychology and storytelling. And you have to understand music to some degree and how that works, it's kind of a lot. programming, all this stuff. And uh, if you go to a game dev course in college, they're going to only focus on just the building parts, which is what we've seen so far mm-hmm. um, without pushing you toward the other things. And it also puts, from what we've seen of students in game dev courses, it puts them into a passive state where instead of aggressively going after this knowledge, they sit around and wait for somebody in there for a professor to hand them the knowledge that they need, which is how people tend to approach school generally, you know? Um, But I think it's actually, it's not, I I don't think it's in your best interest to go into a game dev program. Agreed. Is that that controversial? Is that? I don't think so. Um, So, when it comes to actual programming, there have been times where I have wished that I had some kind of formalized mm-hmm. training, but also knowing what I know now about what kind of training you actually get in college, mm-hmm. I don't know if that actually would have been good. I think well, <laughs> the, the important thing, again, is actually to, to, to look at your approach, which is if you're using a course in, in any one of these disciplines, whether it's game dev, design, uh, you know, art, music, whatever – um, if you're using the courses as the sole basis for your education, then you're, you're wrong. You're just like, you're going to not be good for making yeah. games. If you instead are using it as this sort of augment, because for example, you don't know how or a kickstart. Yeah. You don't know how algorithms work. So you take an algorithms course. And then instead of just doing the work for your algorithms course, you're also say applying that to a game project you're working on at the same time. Um, now you're in the place where that knowledge becomes actually something very useful because you're using it using it more so as like a Kickstarter than the end all be all. And I think that's basically the, that would, is what appears to be the mistake that a lot of people make with their college degrees is thinking just that, period. yeah, it really is just yep. thinking that that's, that is the knowledge when in reality it's barely the basics for what you need to be doing in order to be really effective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would argue that in my experience, um, what I learned in college nowadays, looking back feels like something like 1% of the knowledge that I now have sort of mm-hmm. in retrospect. So, and the thing is it may have been the foundational. Piece, I needed right? it. Yeah. Right. I needed it to get the other 99%, right. but, but you, is you can't that, just take the class and be like, there, I, I'm a game designer right. now. Um, you got to still do all the work on your own mm-hmm. to, to figure out. The and I think nuance. this is why you can see the difference between, you can have two students who do four years of, for example, computer science or programming, whatever uh, more technical angle in school, and they can have completely different skill sets at the end of it. Like one one can be extremely good because they were actually sort of applying this to things as they were going and building things on the side and sort of exploring and using it as the basis. And then the other one could be sort of almost by paper. Could have got program. straight A's, mm-hmm. did great in all their classes. But can't program the way out of a paper bag. Yeah, which, which is really hard to do. Yeah, it's very difficult. <laughs> um, yeah, so the answer is you will get out what, what you, you put, put in, in yeah. from no literally how you do it. From literally everything. Taking college classes might be helpful unless you don't put in yeah. extra work. If you're in the United States, though, it is very expensive. Yes. Yeah. So I would I would argue that there are very few circumstances where college is worth the cost nowadays, with the exception of things that require professional degrees, like being a lawyer or whatever, where you literally have to have stamp. You have to have it in order to do the profession. The question mm-hmm. of whether that profession is worth it 
Is, that's a whole, that's a whole different. One. That's a whole different question. That's also a good thing to consider is that there's a lot of community college, especially near community colleges near really high ranked universities. A lot of the adjunct professors from that university, where they charge say like six grand per course, teach at the community college. So you just mm. go get the same professor with the same <laughs> curriculum and for a few like, hundred bucks or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there there are ways around it. You, you know? You'd have to screen your stuff very carefully. I think the the main problem actually with formalized education is that. We just take whatever we're given as sort of the gospel truth of what we're supposed to know about that thing. Right. Uh, and especially if you don't take the extra step of learning more, then you are completely at the random whim of the professor that you have as to what you actually walk out with. And I think it's one of the, the major disservices that that kind of education just does in general is that it, everybody walks away feeling like they actually know something, know something right? right? But all they know is what one person thought they should know. And not even that, what one person thought they would be capable of learning in that environment. Right. Because professors are not telling you everything that they know. They're not telling you everything that they want you to know. They're telling you what they think the average the person average. in that class could, can, know. can know and actually like successfully complete a test right. with. Because professors aren't allowed to fail everybody in their class. Well, there's also the <laughs> idea of the, the, a different analogy, uh, the idea of a different analogy between, say, describing how, how an atom works with the electrons that orbit around it. So if you're first learning about how this stuff works, usually apparently they use this again from made to stick book. They use the analogy of, uh, of the solar system. Cause a lot of people have already learned yeah, about things it. Things are orbiting. Things are orbiting around things when in reality, reality later, it's a, it's a probability cloud. But what the fuck is that? Right. <laughs> no one knows what that is. There so, is no analogy. But that's one of those things where like, if, if all you get is that education up to that point, you have a fair understanding of it. Like, yeah, cool. they're orbiting. Yeah. They're orbiting they're around there. Um, but in reality, it's not, that's not, that's not what's it. happening. And that's actually the thing I think that was shocking for me in college is that was not having the warning that that's where we were at for almost every single subject that I was in, yeah. which was, this is the basics. If you keep going, you will you understand. Will, you will this, unlearn the basics because yes. they were all just there as a standard. They're there to get you in. For you to learn the real right. shit. Yep. And so, then what you thought was the real shit was also just the basics. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't get to learn any of that until you get way out on the limbs of, of that stuff. And so, uh, yeah, the, but the other part of this question is the tricky one, which is it's about getting a job to support people. Right. right. Because again, your professor doesn't care about that part either. No, they do not. They're not, they're not saying what could I, how could I orchestrate a, a syllabus? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But your employers though, your employers don't have, they're going to assume that you don't know shit because that's a fair assumption. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but, and, and they're going to be trying to come up with a way to decide if I, if I invest an enormous amount of resources, hiring you and training you and, you know, getting you up to speed, uh, and then put my trust in you to be able to do the work and all this kind of stuff. If I do all of this, can you, can you do it? Mm -hmm. Right. That, that's what an employer needs to know. And how are they going to tell if they're looking, if they're looking at what you provide, because if you're self-taught, then all you can, then you get, you have maybe a portfolio, you'll have some way of trying to demonstrate it. Uh, if you went to university in some sort uh, to learn that thing, then you can show your, 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 your GPA. Papers, and so the question is, when it comes to the, to the question of an employer is what are they going to be looking at? And so what should you do as a consequence? And here, unfortunately, the answer is we can't, we can't provide a, an ethical answer to this question because <laughs> sure. we only, we employ people ourselves, right? But we cannot speak on behalf of other employers. Mm -hmm. And we, and I know certainly from being in the job market a long time ago and knowing lots of people who were, who were in it, um, that employers are going to, they, there's no good way to evaluate people. There just, there just isn't it's until you actually get them on board and by that time, it's already very costly and too late. And so they're going to use just whatever like simplest it's kind of arbitrary, arbitrary <laughs> metric they can come up with mm -hmm. that's cheap because they're trying to minimize the cost of bringing somebody on, given that they're probably actually not going to live up to what they need. And so, so they're going to look at your fucking grades. They're going to look at what school you went mm -hmm. to and they're going to use that as a, as a cheap for them, a proxy for how good you're going to be. But even then, it's sort of a coin toss as even far as, as, far as whether or not you in. have what they need and right. their environment is what right. you need. And so if you don't, so the, so the problem here is that if you don't go to college for, for, for this thing, then you have to have some other way to demonstrate to people that, that you can do what they need you to do. Mm -hmm. And then that also, in a lot of ways, is going to change the kinds of companies you can work in. Although it actually goes in both ways, right? Because like when we're, when we're looking at hiring people for our studio – we don't care about your college background. We don't care what, because we, we know how meaningless those right. things are. <laughs> so but, we're there. So we don't care about yeah. that. So if, so if you focused all of your time on that and didn't build a portfolio, for example, you'd have trouble getting a job with us. Mm -hmm. But if you focus your time building a portfolio and not going to college, you have a problem getting a job somewhere else. Mm -hmm. 
So, so just, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> so we, you can't, so you can't universally say, no oh answer. yeah, going to college makes it easier to get a job because it depends well, I think, where you're yeah. applying. All we going can really to college, say. getting a diploma with high grades and also having a portfolio seems like a good way to do it. Yeah. That's their best case scenario. But that's you very costly. Holes. It's really hard right. to do. Because now yeah. you got to dig your way out of that $100,000 hole that you mm. just threw yourself into or however much it was, assuming you're lucky. Right. That's 100. <laughs> right. Maybe it's 300 <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. So, so it's, a, it's a tricky problem. So the short answer is the short answer is <laughs> the short answer is it will be much more cost effective if you have the discipline to learn yourself. And you'll actually learn a lot more given that same period of time because you're not only learning what people are telling you, you're learning whatever you want as aggressively as you want. Uh, but that requires you to be in control of yourself, which most people are not. Most people are not. So if you need the structure of some courses, do that. But then also aggressively pursue your stuff and aggressively pursue how to get control of yourself. Just you'd be, <laughs> just be <laughs> really, really aggressive. aggressive. Be, be aggressive, <laughs> okay? But in a positive way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. toward your own ambitions. Yeah, not yeah. toward other folks. No, not at stuff all. like that. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all the time we have. Uh, So we'd like to thank our studio wrangler, Monique, and our producer, Fat Bard, for putting this episode together. We'd like to thank the B-Scotch dev team for having our backs while we record this podcast. Special thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. And if you'd like to get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can hop over to our Discord server, which is at discord.gg slash bscotch. Come say hey. And if you'd like to adorn your bod with our dope-ass merch... You can head on over to shop.bscotch.net. Or if you'd like to send us some stuff to adorn our bods with, then you can send it to our mailbox, which you can find at mailbox.bscotch.net. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.